Welcome to We Are What We Buy with Dr. Michael Solomon. We'll take a deep dive to look at the patterns, habits, brands, and benefits that drive your customers to buy. The tips and concepts you'll hear on the program will have you standing head and shoulders above your competition. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Solomon. Welcome to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon. The topic of our program today will be music to your ears, literally. In fact, I'm calling it music to your ears and wallet. We're going to look at music, but specifically how marketers use sound and songs to define their brands, to get our attention, to change our moods, and sometimes even to create loyalty to what they sell. Now, it's nothing new to say that music is an important part of advertising and communications. Marketers have often borrowed or adapted popular songs to use in their commercials. Does anyone remember Lemon Pledge, Very Pretty, or perhaps when a diaper company changed the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love, to All You Need Is Loves? How about when Marvin Gaye's iconic song, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, found its way into a very successful ad campaign for the California Raisins? Grapevine, get it? And, of course, we have laugh tracks in sitcom TV shows, one of my pet peeves, by the way, and so-called elevator music that actually changes shoppers' moods when they walk through stores. But today, so-called sonic branding is taking on a new life as much more sophisticated campaigns embrace music and our strong attachment to our favorite songs. So my guests today are at the forefront of the sonic branding movement. I'm happy to introduce my first guest, who's going to hang out with me and help me to co-host the rest of the show. He's an authority on music marketing, and he also happens to be my colleague at St. Joseph's University. So I'm happy to introduce Dr. David Allen. He's a professor of marketing and the chair of the marketing department at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. And Dr. Allen researches and teaches music marketing and audio branding. His most recent book on the subject is This Notes for You, Popular Music Plus Advertising Equals Marketing Excellence. And you should know that before David went into academia, he had a 20-year radio career that began as a DJ and progressed to programming positions with Clear Channel Communications and iHeartRadio. So uh, it's really fun for us to have a former DJ on our faculty. And uh, welcome to the show, David. Very nice to be here, Michael. Yeah, great. So let's, uh, let's plunge in and, and talk a bit about music. And, you know, the show is called We Are What We Buy. And so how about what we listen to? How does that affect what we buy? Well, it depends on where we're hearing it, of course, and what mood we're in. And, you know, like anything in marketing, it depends. Um, if it's an advertising, that's a different environment than if you're hearing it at the mall in Victoria's Secret or someplace like that. Or if you're online and there's some kind of music um, soundtrack or bed or something with you can click onto or click off on the site that you're on. So, um it certainly has become a science onto itself. Um, you know, I went from being a, a disc jockey who um, 
kind of hated the commercials because they were got in the way of the music to someone who now um, loves uh, looking at the music in the commercials. So it's uh, I've kind of come full circle on the whole the whole sonic branding kind of thing. Yeah, and so even as a DJ, I guess you know the commercials are your bread and butter, right? You don't get your paycheck without without getting the sponsorships. So uh, so how how are you seeing that playing out now? You know what's what's going on in in general in either in traditional or online retail environments uh, or on the radio and so on. That you know what's what's different now from twenty years ago when you were actually in the business behind the microphone. Well, I think, you know, from uh, based on what we're talking about here, you know, audio is is finding um, renewed uh, interest in life uh, because there's just so many different places to get audio. So, you know, there's a difference between talking about music and talking about audio, as as I'm told every day when I talk to people that, that deal in both. Um in the from an audio standpoint, you know, there's, you know, there's smart speakers at home. There's, you know, if you're trying to listen to music, there's so many different sources for music now. Um, not just broadcast radio, but you know, it started with sort of a, an iPod and iTunes. You know, moved over into Apple Music and and Pandora. You know, or um, Spotify and those kind of things. So. Um, there's, you know, just so many, so much more audio out there. And then you combine the fact that a lot of, of people in the space um, are dealing with um, audio in places that uh, there isn't audio or there's unpleasing audio. You know, I, I uh, teach a course in music marketing, as you know, and in there we, it's sort of the music and course um, in music and health. Um, a lot of musicologists, Sonic branders are looking at whether you should be hearing a, a beeping sound in your hospital machine or whether it could be something a little bit more pleasing um, that could, could signal the same thing. So you're, you're making an interesting distinction between audio and music. You know, usually we, when we think about music marketing, of course, we're thinking about, uh, you know, like the examples I gave it uh, at the start of the show where a marketer takes a song that people ha maybe have fond memories of and they stick it over a commercial, maybe that maybe they change the words, but it sounds like sonic branding is, is bigger than that. It's about, it's more like engineering the environment in some way. Is that, is that fair to say? Uh, very fair to say. I mean, I, you know, if my research, um, when I left radio and came over to academia and I wanted to tie the two careers together, my research was entirely in music and advertising and music and retail um, and now has had to gravitate towards um, audio in, in branding and sonic branding and because it's just not about the music anymore and the audio branders um, certainly look at this as everything from a, a sound effect um, to, you know, a song by uh, the Rolling Stones. So you, you have to be, I've had to be pretty careful in, in how I, I talk about this kind of stuff and how I research this kind of stuff. Um, I find that the younger generation, um, anyone younger than me, I guess, but the younger generation does think more in terms of audio 
than they certainly do in terms of radio. So marketers in general have had to catch up to that, that it's really not about the music. It's about the sound. And of course, young people especially, but many of us are, are spending a, a good chunk of our day or and even our night with, with uh, you know, headphones on or earbuds in our ears. And so we're constantly surrounded by a musical landscape, and that's something that, that's different. You know, when you talk about retail environments, I mean, uh, before I went into marketing, I, when, I heard, when I heard that little elevator music in, the, in stores, I thought that was just something that they stuck in there. But I, I learned later that Muzak is actually a very sophisticated system that influences people's moods. So uh, do you have any other examples of, you know, of, of companies that are doing innovative things in the environment that, that literally make us change the way we feel? Well, the big movement now, I think, well, you know, the beginning was you know, in retail situation was atmospherics where people figured out pretty early on that um, lighting and, and carpeting and colors and music and smells and that kind of stuff that mattered to the um, consumer experience in traditional retail. Um, and then that gravitated towards, you know, we are at home, maybe not going to the mall and maybe talking to a smart speaker and, you know, ordering from the smart speaker, then when you ask for, you know, Pandora or Amazon, now the smart brands have a, a, an audio logo um, that leads to, that can lead to a, a, a music bed of some type. Um, they're not calling them jingles anymore. Um, at least uh, in this space. Uh, so, you know, that creates, you know, this kind of, you know, environment at home. You know, anyone that has Amazon um, and a smart speaker, you know, you get a, a tone or a light when you've gotten a package at your front door. Um, and that creates that, you know, sort of expectation of, hey, you know, something good is on my front step. So I think that, you know, the, the audio branders the, that are truly in the space are really thinking of what the consumer hears um, 24 hours a day. And that includes, you know, some people are obviously researching whether you have a sound bed on at night uh, on a speaker or you're listening to music or whatever that can be. You know, we're not, you know, the subliminal stuff um, hasn't been talked about in many, many years, but certainly a pleasing sound um, while you're sleeping can aid sleep. And, and the audio sonic uh, branders are thinking about audio 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and what we're hearing. So, uh, you know, our, our guest after the break is, is an authority on sound in, in the environment. Uh, we'll, we'll pursue this a little more when we get him on. But for now, let me shift gears back to the, the idea of using songs uh, as marketing tools. Uh, again, nothing new about that. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, you know, is, is that for a lot of people, you know, they get very attached to certain songs and they, they have some meaning in their lives. And, you know, that was my anthem in high school, whatever, whatever the, the meaning is. Um, and, and I'm wondering, you know, sometimes there's some pushback about uh, – the idea that these uh, songwriters and performers are kind of are selling out. You know, I remember that 
for many years, the Beatles wouldn't allow their music to be used, and then they changed their mind for some reason. And I, I always think about that Neil Young song where he says, you know, ain't, ain't singing for Pepsi, ain't singing for Coke, ain't singing for no one makes me look like a joke. So you know what his attitude is. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, I think, is the same way. Uh, uh, I know there's been some research done on this, and I think you've been involved in a bit of this. So, you know, how, how do people feel in general when, they, when their favorite songs come on, but now they're being used to sell them something? Yeah, great segue into my book, uh, This Notes for You, uh, which I had to pay um, uh, Chapel Music, who owns the rights to This Notes for You, for Neil Young, I had to pay a certain amount of money just to use those four lines in, my, in the opening to my book. Um, so they're near and dear to my heart. But um, my research from a music standpoint uh, shows that um, an older generation, um, and I'll put myself in there, um, is, not, um, is okay with music and advertising, uh, certainly even okay if it's their favorite song in advertising, as long as the advertising is of a product or service that um, they are um, proud of in some point. So you would be okay with, you know, your, your favorite um, classic rock song in a very high-end car commercial, but not so uh, if it's in a Depends commercial. Um, and that's kind of the way the research broke out, um, even down to the point of um, an older demographic doesn't love when you change the lyrics uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of the of the show, uh, from to a you know to a love situation, younger de- generation doesn't care. Um, gross gener- generalizations here, but um, they uh, because I think they've grown up with the practice of putting music in advertising. They're pretty okay with um, even their favorite song in the, in a less than appealing branding situation, um, and. And to a certain extent, it's, it, it's sort of a, a trophy situation or can be a trophy situation that, hey, my, my song's in a commercial um, and I get to hear it, a little bit of it, and um, other people must think it's popular too. So that's a unique phenomenon that goes with this kind of stuff. I think that, you know, you talk about, talk about the Beatles situation in the book and revolution and 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 Apple, the original Apple commercials and Rolling Stones and Start Me Up and all that kind of stuff. They um, The Beatles are in there because the Beatles don't really own their songs anymore. Michael Jackson bought more than half of the catalog away from Paul McCartney. And then in death, it went, um, he got outbid again uh, for a lot of the songs. So I, I'm, I'm still convinced that he would not put um, his music in, in any commercials. Um, and Neil Young, um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash um, ended up putting one of their songs in an underwear commercial. So what, you know, it, the selling out situation certainly has um, um, really reduced itself, not just with uh, younger artists. The older artists are looking at this as um, a another stream of income that they may not be getting the record business 20 years ago. All right. Great point. And we'll pursue that with our third guest, uh, who is a top executive at Pandora. Uh, but for now, we've got to go to a break. I just want to point out that, uh, that if you're interested in getting a copy of Dave's book, This Notes for You, 
um, he's generously offered to provide a 20% discount to my listeners. So just drop me an email, michael at michaelsolomon.com, and I'll make sure that, uh, that you, get the, you get that book at a 20% discount, and I, I recommend it. So please stick with us, and after the break, uh, David and I are going to talk with one of the world's foremost authorities on sound. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. We're back and we're still talking about sound and music. And David Allen from our first segment is going to stick around for the rest of this show as a guest co-host. So our next guest is Julian Treasure, who is with us today all the way from the UK. And uh, I'm thrilled to have him on the show because Julian is a leading figure in the fast-growing audio branding industry. He's chairman of the Sound Agency, author of the book Sound Business, and a highly rated international public speaker on the effective use of sound in business. And in fact, his five TED Talks have been viewed, get this, over 90 million times. And his latest talk is in the top 10 TED Talks of all time. So that's really impressive. Julian, thanks so much for joining us all the way across the pond. Great pleasure, great pleasure, Mike. Uh, So to get started, why don't you just give us a brief commercial for the sound agency? What do you do? Yes, the Sound Agency was launched in 2003, so it's, oh goodness, 16 years now. We've been asking the question, how does your brand sound? And answering that question, it was pretty rare that brands back in 2003 had thought about an audio dimension, really. You know, we're very ocular as a culture, as a world, you know, uh, design. Immediately you think of how things look. 
and yet we experience the world in five senses. So it's a very important question, and we've been able over this period to prove over and over again the simple proposition that good sound is good business. Making a noise is not good for business. You frighten customers away, they leave, you get less sales, less customer satisfaction. Um, and this is very much in the area of, you know, some very fashionable concepts now, brand experience in particular, customer experience, brand experience, customer journeys, these kinds of things all experienced in five senses, not one. So if your sound is fighting all the money you spend on visuals, it's undermining that investment and making it far less effective. So that's basically what the sound agency does, specializing, I'd say, these days very much in sound in physical commercial spaces like shopping malls, airports, uh, banks, these kinds of places where our behavior is very com conditioned by the sound around us. And uh, I mean, that, it's pretty obvious when you start to think about it. You, if you made a terrible smell in the shop, people would obviously leave. But it is astounding how many retail and other really significant commercial branded spaces have got terrible sound in them. And the result is we leave. Yeah, well, it's definitely an overlooked perceptual channel, I think. And um, uh, we, uh, when I was talking with David in the first segment, you know, he made a very useful distinction between audio and music. And, of course, we've, we think mostly about the use of popular songs, et cetera, uh, in marketing. But, but you focus more, I think, on the audio, more general part. I mean, your company, The Sound Agency, uh, tells us a lot about that. So let me start with a really basic question. How does sound affect people? On four very powerful levels. Physiologically, it changes heart rate, breathing, hormone secretions. So sudden sounds, for example, create an immediate fight-flight physiological reflex. That's thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution where it's safer to assume that a sudden or unexplained sound is dangerous. So that kind of reaction happens all the time, it happens to people in offices, it happens to people in shopping malls, that kind of rising stress of cacophonous or threatening sound. So physiologically, sound is changing us all the time. Then psychologically, I mean, I'm sure you've talked with Dave about the, the effect of music on mood and emotion. It's incredibly powerful, but it's not the only sound that changes our feelings. For example, we use birdsong quite a lot at the sound agency. Birdsong is a sound that we associate with being awake and alert. It's also a sound we associate with being safe. When the birds are gently singing, normally things are okay. So it has a, a pretty beneficial effect, very good sound for working too. Third way, cognitive. Sound affects how well we can think. Dense, complex sound, it disturbs our thought process. It takes our attention away. We have bandwidth for only about 1.6 human conversations. Now, music is quite dense. I have to say, and we do a lot of removing music from spaces where it's actually interfering with what people are trying to do. Uh, at the same time, other sounds, stochastic natural sounds are quite easy for us to ignore. Uh, so cognitively, we have to be very careful about the load we're putting into a space. And there's a lot of research now to show that if we overload people's perceptions and uh, their sensitivities in any sense, it tends to has, have a negative effect. For example, there was some very interesting research recently about uh, loud restaurants causing people to taste the food less well. You overload one sense and the other senses get suppressed. 
So uh, sound affects us cognitively. How well can we think? And then the final way sound affects us is behaviorally. We will tend to move away from unpleasant sound. And that is crucial when you're a retailer, for example, and you care about words like dwell time. Uh, if you want to have people stay around, make pleasant sound, and that does not involve badly chosen music playing from a substandard system sounding like somebody sat on it at transistor radio or something. Uh, that's the kind of sonic environment which it's a knee-jerk reaction. Everybody else is playing music. Let's play music. Let's play jolly pop. It's happy. Fast music speeds people up. They leave faster. Unpleasant sound of any kind, disliked music or irritating repetitive music will cause people to leave. Well, I, I love the notion of uh, cognitive bandwidth that you're talking about, and it would be tempting to conclude from what you said that the best solution is to eliminate sound, wouldn't it? Because then people would have more bandwidth to focus on the, on the products and the stores, et cetera. But I, I'm guessing you won't agree with that. But how would you respond to that question? Well, it's an interesting and um, superficially attractive solution to have silence everywhere. But of course, some people don't like that. And we have to be sensitive to people's likes and dislikes as well. Uh, and also, if you're thinking about, for example, an office where people want to work, I've been in offices which are so quiet that the turning of a piece of paper is a major event and people like tut if it happens. You know, we have to think about distraction. In absolute silence, if I take a phone call in an office of 20 people, I'm putting off 20 people. Uh, they have no earlids. They have to listen. And the most distracting sound of all is other people's unwanted conversation. We're programmed to decode it we have no choice unless you're going to put headphones on or block the sound out so in an office it's a good idea to have some masking sound that gives you a sense that you can speak with some privacy as you said on your sense of the, uh, your side of the atlantic privacy as we say over here that's a very important aspect to this and then there's the association we have, it would be weird to be in a shopping mall if it were dead quiet. You know, if you walk into a cathedral, you immediately start whispering because it's so quiet. You feel rather inhibited, uh, generally. So the sound will, uh, it will entrain people's actions. If you want people to feel comfortable and unencumbered and unfettered, then you might want to have some uh, fairly cheerful sound in the background. Now that often comes about naturally um, and um, sadly it often comes about in a very unpleasant form because of terrible acoustics and bad visual design uh, so uh, again those are things we often have to ameliorate when we're looking at any situation so the sound then becomes part of the experience obviously and a part that we're often not as aware of but when we, when we talk about about branding now you've been talking about retail environments but Brands in general, of course, have an identity. They have to cultivate that identity very carefully. Uh, I don't think that, for the most part, they pay as much attention to the sounds that they make as they do uh, the visuals or perhaps even smells, etc. So how can brands do, do more to cultivate their identity using the sonic dimension? Well, simply asking the question, how does our brand sound is a big start. I think with all these things, it's like my teachings on speaking and listening, which I do, um, you know, in terms of personal communication. The first 
And most important step is consciousness, becoming conscious, asking the question, you know, are our delivery trucks loud? How are our shops? How is our corporate reception? You know, you walk into many corporate receptions and there's some TV network showing terrible news on with the sound on. I don't know why people think bad news is going to make for good meetings, but that's a cuckoo brand. I mean, you close your eyes in that space and you're, you're not hearing the brand of the company you're visiting. You're hearing some TV network brand quite possibly with ads from competitors on it as well. So we need to think carefully about every touch point, every customer experience, and just ask the question, is the sonic dimension consistent? Is it congruent? Is it positive? Is it reinforcing our brand value, expressing our brand personality or whatever architecture you've developed in the brand? I mean, some brands have very complex brand architecture. Others are extremely simple. It doesn't come down to, you know, sometimes people phone us up and say, we need a bing bong. Well, that's not quite what we do. We will go back to the heart of a brand, to the values, the personality, uh, and the, anything else that's been developed around it, core concepts or words to understand customer avatars or um, examples, and then look at ways in which that brand could be usefully expressed in sound and equally ways it's expressing itself at the moment, unconsciously, noisily, um, in, in conflict with the visual branding, so we can remove those and replace them with something that's a lot more effective. That makes me crazy too when I go into, I can think of an airport, our airport here and airport bars around the world where they just have on some news network or ESPN and I, they think um, that's a good thing, but it, um, it makes me crazy. Uh, they do that kind of stuff. From a from a branding standpoint, though, um, why don't you think more brands? Good for you, I guess. But why do you think more brands? I mean, they have the you know mission statement meeting, and you know this is what we stand for, and this is what our philosophy is. Why don't they ask the question? You know, what do we sound like? Well, I'm glad to say that that is much more common now. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's de rigueur, but I would say it's much more common. And there are some great examples out there, you know, starting, uh, I guess, the ball started running with Intel. And if you think about Intel, if I ask you to draw the Intel logo, you'd probably struggle. Mm -hmm. But if, if I say to you, what's the Intel Sonic logo, I can hear it in my head. I'm sure many of the people listening to this, da, 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 you know, there you go. It's first to fourth, first to fifth, which is what symphonies do, compressed into two and a half seconds. And it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars to Intel that piece of sound because they play it at the end of PC partners ads. It means Intel inside. And you know that. So that example, I think, you know, set the bar. And now you can think of many, many, many brands in the US, brands like McDonald's or uh, Audi, where you've got that heartbeat. There are, there's a lot of sound being deployed very carefully by brands who are very smart about what they're doing. Uh, and they want to create, if not earworms, which are things that, you know, linger in your brain forever, certainly an audio dimension to the brand. And if you're making something like a car, of course, you've got to be really thinking about it. I mean, they already spend a huge amount on padding in doors. Car doors don't really sound like that. They're padded and carefully designed to go. If you actually had the naked car door without all of the stuff in it, it would make a horrible tinny open sound. Well, they think about that stuff, the sound of switchgear, the sound of the engine, of course, the feedback you get 
driving, there's a big question these days about how electric cars are going to sound because they need to make some sound in order to be safe. So there's a huge amount to this. It's not just a sonic logo, although that can be very powerful. You may want ear comms, we call them in apps or on, on the internet to confirm actions or things like that. You might want some music associated with your brand. If you've ever flown British Airways, you'll know the Flower Duet uh, from Lacme by Delib, which is played everywhere uh, associated with British Airways. It's a very powerful musical association. Um, then there's brand voice. When you phone up many brands, we only exist, uh, our relationship only exists in sound because we phone them up. We don't see them, uh, your utilities, your bank, and so forth. Do you get a consistent vocal experience of the brand? Have the brands asked the question, are we fast and excited or are we laid back and calm? Uh, do we have a regional accent? Are the words we use or don't use? Are we old or young? Are we very polite or slightly cheeky? Uh, those kind of things are really important in order to deliver a consistent brand experience, which matches the promise you're making in marketing communication. Well, this, this is really powerful stuff. And Julian, you, you mentioned in passing that you also deal with uh, listening at the personal, on the personal level, listening skills. And you know, as we get to the end of this segment, I wish we could keep you on longer. But uh, I want to share with everyone that, that Julian is going to give everyone who wants it a very valuable free gift. And that is a free five-part video training program on listening skills. And if you want to take advantage of this offer, just drop me an email at michael at michaelsolomon.com and I will get Julian's company to send you a link for the whole video series. So please take advantage of that. I really like the sound of that, Julian, if you'll pardon the pun. And <laughs> Of course. Uh, I, I thank you so much for coming on. We, we love to have you. And uh, everyone, please stand by. And after our next break, David and I are going to talk to someone who's responsible for the, a lot of the music that many of you listen to every day. So thank you, Julian. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. And I'm, I'm back uh, after the break here with my friend and colleague, Dr. David Allen, talking about the importance of sound and music. So before the break, we were talking with Julian Treasure, who is a world-renowned expert on the impact of sound on the environment. And now we're going to switch gears a little bit and get into the meat of things to talk about music specifically and how music and brands work together. So we're really happy to welcome Steve Keller to the show. And uh, Steve has a really great job title. His title is the Sonic Strategy Director for Studio Resonate at Pandora. And Steve is recognized as one of the world's leading experts in the field of sonic branding. He's a self-described audio alchemist, and I'm going to ask him to tell us what that means. But he spends his days and nights blending art and science into award-winning sonic strategies and creative content for a long list of global agencies and brands. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, you know, trying to follow Julian Treasure. I mean, he's, he's, he's brilliant, uh, and, and he sounds much better than I, I, I ever could. So I'm happy to be here. So there's nothing like a British accent for sonic branding, right? But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you describe yourself as an audio alchemist, which is an intriguing term, uh, intriguing job description. So, um, you know, if you could just start off, tell us a little bit about what you do and what you're cooking up in your, in your sonic laboratory. Well, you know, I, the, the term audio alchemist actually kind of stems from um, my educational background, my training uh, university was actually in psychology, um, and uh, Carl Jung was one of my uh, favorite um, founding fathers of psychology, if you will. Uh, and uh, if you know anything about Jungian psychology, uh, he deals a lot with, uh, with archetypes, with symbols, with semiotics. Uh, and there's this uh, idea that he puts forth uh, about um, alchemy, which is basically kind of blending two things together uh, in a way that um, brings something new and different out of that combination. And so I think uh, of what I do as a, as a strategist and, um, you know, even more specifically when I'm helping brands develop sonic identities as this uh, alchemy that's a, a really a mix of science and art. I think very often we, we look at science and art um, as opposite polarities without realizing they're 
just two sides to the to the same coin. And uh, what I attempt to do in my work is bring those together. So drawing on my background in science, um, my academic network, uh, my love for research and, and testing, and how that can inform the creative process while still leaving enough room to uh, to find a few surprises uh, along the way. And uh, and when it's done right, it does feel like magic. Well, magic is a uh, is certainly a, a great term to interject into a discussion of marketing. Uh, you know, can you give us some examples of how brands invest in in sonic branding and, and what kind of magic does that create for the brand? Well, you know, I think um, one of the things that we need to do is, is step back a little bit and talk about what sonic branding is. Um, you know, very often, uh, particularly in the world of advertising and marketing, sound and music um, is the last thing anybody is, is thinking about. A lot of times campaigns get crafted um, ideas are, are pulled together, and then at some point somebody says, oh, we have a script, I guess we need a voiceover. Or maybe we need a piece of music to put underneath this. Uh, and it's a, uh, a rush to finish up a campaign or messaging and, and get it out. And in, in those instances, music's very often <clears throat> a little more than a tactical tool. Uh, and unfortunately, um, you know, bad habits are hard to break. So now that we're in a world where there's more discussion around sonic identities, uh, because we now have uh, smart speakers and voice interactivity and brands are having to function uh, in an area where you can't see them anymore. There's no visuals, there's no text, there's no typography. So how do they stand out? Um, and you have to pay more attention to consumers' ears. So what happens is uh, brands are now talking a lot more about sonic identity, but they haven't moved away from tactical execution. So they immediately think about an audio logo, maybe that Intel, bum, 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 or the T-Mobile, or even McDonald's, um, the bum, 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 bum. And uh, they immediately think sonic branding, oh, I need an audio logo. Instead of really stepping back and realizing that sonic branding is less about any one particular audio asset and more about an entire system of sound. So it's thinking about the application across multiple consumer touch points. So we've talked a little bit about um, mnemonics uh, or audio logos, sonic logos, mogos, sogos, there's all kinds of different names uh, that have been used for them, uh, brand themes. Uh, in the old days, we might have called them jingles, particularly if they had the name of the brand within them. But brand themes might be a piece of music that's kind of used regularly as part of a sonic identity. Uh, but voice itself uh, can be uh, a part of a sonic identity, a, a singular voice that's used that's very recognizable and associated with the brand. We could talk about brand navigation sounds. If there's a, an app um, or a user interface, um, kiosks, um, the uh, codes that are read uh, at checkout, all of those can be sonified in a way that could be part of a brand identity. The brand itself as a product uh, may make sound, uh, and so that has to be taken into consideration. You think of automobiles and, and the sound of those 
those automobiles. And now that we've moved into a world of electric cars and we've started to realize that if the cars make no noise at all, they could be a safety hazard, uh, particularly in cities when they're moving slowly. So there's a race with a lot of automotive makers to come up with interesting sounds that uh, can notify uh, pedestrians that uh, a car is nearby, but they can also be unique and branded as well. So these are just a few examples of, of an entire universe uh, of sound and the different ways that, that brands uh, can use them um, over time. Steve, do you think that uh, being an audio company and an audio guy at an audio company um, puts you in a unique position to help brands um, with the whole sound as part of a DNA rather than a, a ding? <laughs> Uh, so to speak. Yes, well, we, we'd like to think so. I mean, the whole reason for, for launching Studio Resonate, which is an audio-first consultancy that uh, lives under the Pandora umbrella, is to really bring um, the data, the science, the consumer insights uh, that we have from years of looking at um, consumer behavior and what they like and, and don't like and research into personality and mood and context, emotion, recall, uh, and bringing that science to bear um, on a creative network. And so certainly, again, as a, as a music company, uh, we have a lot of connections with artists, with composers, with sound designers, with engineers, um, with a network of designers, just very creative um, audio people uh, that can help create or curate uh, playlists um, for brands. Uh, and so true to this idea of audio alchemy, um, it's one of the things that uh, really attracted me to Pandora uh, and, and working uh, with uh, my colleagues there to really bring both sides of this coin together um, in a company that's uniquely suited to do that. So if I if I'm a brand, you know, uh, they a brand tends to focus most of its attention on the visual channel. I think you'd agree, and that's a that's a really saturated channel. So so sound is really a, another way to communicate with with your customers um, and break through that clutter. If if I go that route, how do I know it's working? You know, how do I get how do I know I'm getting that the sound that is the bang for my buck by investing in a sonic branding strategy? And how, you know, and how does that change the way consumers interact with brands? Are we going to be singing our brands in the future? <laughs> well, you know, I think we've I think the reality is is we've sung our brands in the past. Uh, you know, some some of the probably the earliest jingles were the town criers in London that were selling their strawberries uh, or, their, or their wares. And they had uh, little bits of music and songs that are actually documented and, and notated uh, that they would use to, to sing to attract uh, customers. You know, Wheaties uh, had a, uh, a jingle um, that they used uh, way back in the days of radio when we didn't have anything in terms of streaming uh, audio and uh, found early on that uh, in the markets where they were actually using this jingle, 
uh, Wheaties sales started going through the roof. Uh, it had such a huge impact that um, they got smart and rolled it out all across the country. So this idea of, of uh, associating music or sound with a brand is something that um, is not that new. But I think what is new is um, as we've developed more sophisticated ways to test um, outcomes, uh, we're, we're able to get away from, you know, just trusting our gut. Um, and I think there's something to be said for, uh, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with really talented um, musicians and composers and designers, uh, there's a natural experience that, that they draw on that the research often shows, um, you know, they're, they're, they're on to something uh, just, just instinctively. But we try to get it outside of uh, the realm of just a, a thumbs up, a thumbs down, a, a personal preference, um, or a liking or appeal, and getting into to measuring other things. Uh, if you're developing a, a brand theme, a mnemonic, um, you should prototype, come up with some different options, and then test those. You can test them for recall. You can test them for congruency and brand fit. You can test them for appeal. You can test them to see if uh, certain emotional attributes that you are trying to trigger for the brand um, are actually hit. Uh, and then you can use that information to begin to optimize that sound. And you can benchmark so that over time, if you're using a property and you want to see whether or not um, it's uh, really moving the needle in terms of that brand leak engine recall, you can can measure at different points in time and see where the effectiveness is. So this measurement piece is, is really important. And then I think another thing that's important to consider when you're building an identity is thinking about consistency. So, you know, we talked earlier about all these uh, brand touch points. And uh, the trick is to find um, all of these places where your brand can be heard, where there can be a sonic experience of the brand, and trying to tie them all together in a way so that that sonic experience on the app um, uh, fits with the sonic experience of a television commercial um, and a ad on Pandora uh, and an experience within the store um, or something that's a, a, a pop-up or some other kind of experiential activation uh, or even in your on-hold system. Uh, when uh, a consumer calls in, what do they hear? on the other end of, of the phone. Uh, so that implementation piece is beyond the research and testing. That's just where you're being consistent with your standards. And I think the very last point I would make uh, around how you kind of ensure a little bit more uh, effectiveness and a better return on your audio ROI is um, also to consider the, um, the fact that Branding is a, a long-term investment. And I think very often with audio, particularly on digital channels, um, we default to short-term thinking. Uh, it, we, we're using messaging that's all about a particular price point or a promotion. Um, and uh, there's a couple of researchers by the name of uh, Les Bennett and Peter Field uh, who did some research called The Long and the Short of It, and they, they looked at um, this kind of short-term sales activation uh, with brands uh, over a 30-year period and found that, indeed, there's a, there's a sales spike 
but it falls off very quickly. So you can continually have to repeat these short-term activations. But when they looked at brands that invested in more long-term brand building, where it wasn't simply about uh, price and, and program, it was really about attempting to create um, an emotional appeal and a recognition over time. Uh, they found that these brands actually doubled uh, the return on their investment in their brand communications if they were able to build this kind of long-term brand. And I think audio is particularly uh, suited for both short-term and long-term activation. So you can do a short-term message, but if you use an audio asset that's part of your brand, then every time the consumer is hearing that, it's building that uh, that recognition. So I think it's these three factors, the research and testing at a developmental um, phase and uh, benchmarking and optimization, uh, very um, consistent standardized implementation uh, systems, and then finally um, an investment in building the brand over time. That's where you're going to see the biggest return. Great, thanks. And uh, one last question for you. Um, I'm not sure how you'll take this, but uh, is it possible, do you think down the road, if you do your job too well, you'll poison the well? You know, will, will consumers be deluged with, with sound, with brands making sounds in the same way that the visual environment is, is saturated? Will, will we get sick of hearing brands talking to us? Well, I, I, you know, it's, it's a very good point. Um, I think sometimes brands uh, forget that's, that a part of sonic branding may also be sonic white space, if you will, um, or, or the absence uh, of, of noise. Um, and I think that there is a real danger, um, particularly in a world where you know, brands are rushing to, um, to be heard, to simply um, end up with a cacophony of, of sound that, that we're all bombarded with. But if I do my job well, um, it's as much about the strategy that informs the creative. So there may be strategic moments where you want to, to say, uh, you know, let's create some space here. Uh, you know, I, I think of a very interesting um, event that uh, Selfridges, uh, the, the department store in the UK did where they actually had a quiet room uh, around the holidays, knowing that um, there's a cacophony of sound that uh, consumers are bombarded uh, with at, at that time of year. And so they actually created a room where you could walk in, you check your phone, the lights were dimmed, there was kind of very soft, pleasant um, music, uh, and they, they definitely saw a rise in the foot traffic uh, in the store from people coming not only to shop, but to to take advantage of this safe sonic space, if you will. So I think if brands are smart, um, they're going to be very intentional with their use of sound. And uh, so that's, that's going to mean that they're going to, to try to increase recall but not annoy consumers uh, at, the, at the same time because that's counterproductive. Let's remember that uh, Simon and Garfunkel sang the sounds of silence. I know. That's, <laughs> and it's a beautiful song. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you certainly made some intelligent sounds uh, during this session. I, I appreciate <laughs> uh, Steve Keller well, at um, 
studio resonate at Pandora and uh, Dr. David Allen here with me from St. Joseph's University. Uh, thank you both so much, and this is really fascinating stuff. I appreciate your coming on. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for letting us share our voice with you. Thank you for listening to We Are What We Buy. Please join your host, Dr. Michael Solomon, again next Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a winning week.